Hello and welcome to I Wish I Wrote That Song, a podcast where we talk to songwriters and artists about themselves, songwriting and a song they wish they wrote. They'll then play a cover of the song for us at the end of the episode. I'm Keith Wyatt, one of the founders of Indie Kitchen, an acoustic sessions website and a small record label based in Cornwall in the UK. And I'm David Glover, a writer, record producer, a musician and owner of Tesla Studios, a recording studio in Sheffield. For this episode, we spoke to Sam Brooks, one of the UK's leading alt-folk artists. Sam has released two albums to date, his first in 2011 and his second, Kairos, in 2014. James, the lead single from Kairos, has now been streamed over 20 million times on Spotify. Last year, he revisited some of the songs from Kairos for the Tempest EP, which he recorded with BAFTA-winning composer and musician Lawrence Lovegreed. In addition to his own music, Sam has worked with the likes of Newton Faulkner, Lucy Rose and Basement Jacks. During our conversation, Sam talks about his music, his approach to songwriting and recording, his relationship through music with his dad, who's sadly no longer with us, and of course, the song he wish he wrote, a song by Willie Mason, originally released in 2005. We also managed to have a chat with Willie. Listen out for that later on in the episode. Head over to our website at IWishIWroteThatSong.co.uk for playlists and more information about the music, artists and books discussed in the episode. Anyway, welcome to I Wish I Wrote That Song with Sam Brooks. So hi Sam. Hello. Hey Sam, how are you doing? Very, very good. Very, very good. good. What have you been up to? I have been, actually went for my... One bit of exercise today, very early this morning. Went for a cycle ride. Went along the. Uh, I live in Bristol, and you can go along this cycle path all the way to Bath. And so I went to Bath and back this morning. Oh wow! And it was um, it's gorgeous. And then just been doing a bit of recording at home and and doing some videos for YouTube at the moment. So I'm just agonising another thing to uh, get stressed about in terms of finalizing finessing the video as well as <laughs> the sound anyway but yeah it's been a good day <laughs> the album's sounding really brilliant by the way yes thanks keith where'd you record it i recorded the album in Froome at the bert yanch studio oh wow yeah um the bert yanch foundation started kick-started this sort of funding to get the place sorted then they got some lottery funding and yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a lovely, lovely space. They haven't, at the moment, they haven't got a desk in there, but you kind of have to sort of insta studio, as we like to call it, <laughs> and bring your own studio in. Oh, great. Are there lots of taste of guitars being in Bert's name? No, there's not. I mean, it literally is a bit of a shell, the space. Right. Um, which for us was really great because it meant, you know, you can make it your own space. Yeah. But it was, it was quite nice to do that with Don Monks, who engineered and produced it. So we approached it as a as a trio, and then I was lucky enough to have Ethan Johns come down and play oh, on two wow. tracks as well, which was oh. uh, it was crazy. I mean, it, it, yeah, I was really nervous. I mean, he'd probably say, "What are you nervous for? I'm coming to play on your record." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, he's on some amazing records, hasn't he? He's like his own stuff, and the stuff he's produced is great. And his, his dad's obviously a legend as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I read Sound Man. Have you read that book? No, I've not read that one. Oh, it's great. It's all about Glyn Johns and 
the birth of the kind of engineer producer basically but yeah to have Ethan in the studio was amazing because he played drums on those Ray LaMontagne records as well as producing them so to kind of close my eyes and hear him playing on my stuff I was like oh it sounds like Ray LaMontagne's drummer I was like it is Ray LaMontagne's drummer (laughs) so how did that come about so Dom Dom has worked with Ethan for many years in fact his first record with Ethan apart from a record well, his first record where Ethan asked him to engineer it was Ray LaMontagne's Gossip in the Grain. And he's worked with him ever since, basically, as his kind of right-hand man as an engineer. And it was amazing. Is the approach pretty similar to your previous albums? Yes. In the sh- is the short answer. Um, <laughs> but I guess there's, there's quite a difference in that my second album I recorded with Greg Freeman... And we play, again, we played everything live and then added stuff to it, but just between the two of us. Yeah. And there was, some, there, was, there was something about that record where like small ideas and small kind of emotions in a way became quite big. You know, there was a, a great kind of scale on that record, I think, because it started from such a small place between two people kind of creating something. And then, you know, you started adding stuff and you could get that really great scale which is interesting because you think, you know, I haven't recorded loads, I haven't recorded loads of albums or anything, but you kind of think, well, if you want scale, you get an orchestra. Yeah. Which you can get scale with that, can't you? But it's amazing, big scale. (laughs) Um, So it brought a different challenge when you suddenly got, when you do get more musicians in a room, you suddenly realise that there is great sensitivity, especially with my music, needs to be kind of at play in terms of, people's approach to it you know and yeah you know it's that sort of classic thing of like you know less is more but you know just leaving so much leaving lots of space for the for the song the journey that sort of I went on with making this new album was that I was working with Dom conceptually if you will for quite a long time talking about the album yeah and I, I loved the way that he conceived the idea of the album in his head before we played any music you know he he was sort of talking about these sort of submersive record where these songs are kind of like spinning emotions in a universe you know it's kind of you know makes makes him sound dom sound like he's like a sort of hippie but he's not at all but he's really on point with it and it just really made me go yeah i'm with you that's totally it yeah i think like often going to an album you have like a, a feeling is often often more important than the actual what's actually going to go on it it's like how's it going to feel and what yeah i think it's really useful yeah <laughs> in fact i know it is because i, yeah. I did record an album that uh, i didn't use and actually what I, I wasn't necessarily recording an album i think i was recording a bunch of really amazing demos <laughs> <laughs> um and ex- I, was, I was exploring but i didn't i wanted to get cracking with an album but actually and i had enough songs but i hadn't conceived it i hadn't conceived the concept of it and taken a step back and really looked at that the arc of the album the story of it and and that's not to say that the story can't change on the way or a new song might arrive halfway through because that often happens. But usually because you've given those parameters or you've yeah. created that environment for that to happen. So you're going to play a song for us. What song are you going to play? I'm going to play the first single off my new album, Black Feathers. And the song is called Sinking Boats. Mm-hmm. 
coat on faces to my shore Don't turn away from what you see
Thanks, Sam. That was good. Beautiful. So how did it feel having gone through the process of recording Kiros to revisit those songs for the Tempest EP? That was interesting because <laughs> it's kind of reminded of, uh, I'm, I'm really into this series on Netflix called Abstract. You heard of it? No, I'm going to write it down. It talks about creativity and there's a, a German illustrator on there who talks about how when he kind of hit early 30s, he he felt like he became a bit stagnant with his ideas and he felt like um, he wasn't coming up with anything new. And he, he needed to kind of, well, he, he sort of forced himself into this position where he would have to get back into the practice of creativity and playfulness by saying to himself, I'm going to draw something every Sunday and then I'm just going to release it into the world and wash my hands a bit, basically, you know. And that allowed him a bit of freedom as to be like, well, I'm going to have to, I've committed myself to doing that every Sunday. And so I can't kind of spend too much time on it, basically. But what he realized was that over time, that he started as a creative artist, drawing stuff. And he he felt that he, he looked back on that time and he saw himself as a careless artist. But he's now become this ruthless editor with all this knowledge that he's gained over time and like all the songs that he's learned of others, or sorry, not songs, but in, you know, my context or whatever, yeah. maybe. And you've got all these, you know, these thoughts coming in, stopping you really stifling your creativity as you get older. But he realized that he needed, he needed both of these things. He needed that careless artist and he needed the ruthless editor to create like the kind of stuff that he was creating, but he needed one at a time in that, in the room. So there's a long way of, sort of basically saying when I came back to revisiting those songs, it was interesting because my kind of ruthless editor was like, Ooh, <laughs> it's a long time since we listened to these songs. Maybe we could like change them and, you know, and do all these kind of different things to them. Yeah. So I, I actually really enjoyed sort of stepping back into that time of when I, I wrote those songs and recorded those songs with Greg and got back into the freedom of mucking around with those ideas uh, with somebody new, but also with a bit of knowledge in terms of like, well, maybe we could just, I don't know, do a more concise arrangement. And I found that I managed to, well, I think anyway, especially with um, Numb, kind of do an arrangement that I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's almost more concise. So three albums in, do you think your songwriting has, your, the actual songwriting process has changed at all? Most of the, the majority of the record was fully written, you know, before going in. And actually one of our kind of constraints was time because of money. Basically we didn't, you know, couldn't spend six months in the studio trying ideas out. So it was actually quite important for me and Dom to be like, okay, the song is great and is king. Now all we've got to do is screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a usual kind of approach to songwriting? Will one thing come before the other? I don't, wouldn't say I have a usual approach. I, I kind of feel like I keep the door open for anything to kind of send me down that path of writing a song. But more often than not, I'd say that the what I feel is my best songs or the songs that have kind of stand the test of time in terms of me playing them over the years have been the ones that there's a spark, a kind of creative spark, if you will, that like 
when the, that first lyric or that first sound comes out of your mouth when you're playing a particular note or chord or whatever it might be or a texture, creating a texture, it seems to unravel quite quickly at that point. At, at least, I find that, yeah, at that moment, I often get quite a lot of imagery. Like I see things um, almost like a little film playing out in my head. Yeah. And that helps me to kind of start to create this kind of narrative as loose or as formed as it might become in that early stages. But, and I tried to, to sort of give it the time and space to build a house, if you will, so that even if not all the rooms are painted because I've got to be somewhere in 20 minutes or, or whatever it might be or something, or it's just like, I can't finish it today. It's, I'm yeah. not feeling it totally that I've got enough to kind of get back into and I can, you know, switch the lights on and be like, Oh yeah, this is what we're talking about. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think songwriting is such an amazing thing. And I feel like everybody's got a song. <laughs> I work for a charity doing um, music workshops every year. And I'm kind of the songwriting person, mentor, whatever you want to call it. That's Click Sergeant. Click Sergeant. Yeah. yeah. Click Sergeant charity. And, um, yeah, I just think it's amazing what people have got to say when they start, start digging around and, you know, you get a lot of people sort of talking, like you go to songwriting seminars and people want to know how to write an amazing song, but it's like, it's not about writing amazing songs, it's about writing your song. Yeah. The honesty, honest is often really important, isn't it? It's like something could be a cliche, but if it's honest and it's your cliche, then it's not even cliched anymore, is it? It's, it's got to be honest in what, what how you feel and what you're writing, I guess. Yeah. Do you write about yourself or do you often use characters? Is it, is it always from your perspective or about you or? I don't think I've ever really created, I, I've never really created a character and then kind of put myself in that or taken a real life situation and created a, yeah, full-blown narrative out of that, you know. It's, mm. it's always about me. Weirdly enough, I find that sometimes <laughs> time passes and I'm like, that's what that song's about. Yeah. Even though, even though I've gone through the process of like, I know the feeling and I see the, the kind of image narrative, if you will, and it plays out in front of me and I write about it and I get it. I know I, what well, I think I know is about, but yeah. And then later down the line, I'm like, wow, that song is really speaking to me now much more than it did even when I wrote it. Yeah. Like self-therapizing. Oh, it's all, it's all self-therapy. Yeah. yeah. And it's I, actually, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I've always thought it's a sort of a self-therapy because I've, I've written since I was a, you know, really, really young. I find that therapy is an interesting thing. I've, I've had therapy for like a, over a year now and it's, it's like coming back to a, to a mirror, but that for me, but that mirror changes. And sometimes it can be annoying being confronted with the same thing again and again and again. But when you start to see it from a different perspective, you learn something deeper within yourself. You see it, you see it sort of, you see something deeper and you're like, Oh yeah. And that's, that's the same with that, that experience that I had with that song. You know, I wrote it, I thought I knew what it was about and I'm singing it and I'm feeling the emotion and people come up to me and say, Oh, I like that song. But yeah, six months later down the line, I'm like, Whoa, that song yeah. was just 
gone another level. <laughs> and it's the same for, for listening to songs, right? Joni Mitchell's um, A Case of You. I've loved Joni Mitchell for years, but it wasn't until I, I had a big breakup in my life and, that I listened to that song and I just cried like a baby. You said I am as constant as a northern star And I said Constantly in the darkness Where's that at? So what's the album going to be called? Black Feathers The album's called Black Feathers It's one of the songs on the record And actually Going back to what you said earlier About the overall feel of the album And the whole Not necessarily the concept behind the album But almost the whole kind of ambience of an album it does just sound, sorry, I'm without sounding like a fan, it does sound brilliant. It's it's just such a lovely sounding album. It kind of be almost ignoring the songs within it. It's just the overall feel of the album is really luscious or warm. Mm. It's, yeah, really lovely sounding album. Cheers, man. Yeah, that's definitely down to, well, yeah, Dom did a great job. And just the processes of watching him work, capturing sound, and creating that atmosphere in the studio for that to happen. Because like I said before, this, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's a pretty deep record, you know, for me, that record, because it's kind of all about sort of grief and loss. It's like a meditation on grief is kind of what, where I've come to with it. And yeah, it wasn't until I met Dom, until I started talking to him about it, that I realised that he was the right guy for it and that actually I needed somebody to really handle the whole thing with a lot of care and right down to just the way we spoke about it to, you know, the, the sound that he sort of managed to, to capture. Um, so, yeah. So, this podcast is called I Wish I Wrote That Song. Which song do you wish you wrote, Sam? I wish I wrote... It sounds a bit weird saying I wish I wrote this, but yeah, I wish I wrote... Um, Oxygen by Willie Mason. It's a great choice. I wanna be better than oxygen So you can breathe when you're drowning And weak in the knees I wanna speak louder than riddling For all the children who think That they've got a disease I wanna be cooler than tea I love it so much. Yeah, I was having a, having a little listen to it before we before we sort of jumped in on the call and um yeah it was funny i was like do i listen to it or do i not listen to it because it's funny when you sort of recall something or you know like listen to it right before we talk yeah but yeah i just li i listened to it and because i love it <laughs> but it's just yeah it's just a song that continues again a bit like what we were talking about about songwriting before about the mirror that you see when you you know you come back to a song and yeah, it changes, changes what that song sort of means to me. And actually, even now, like the the situation we find ourselves in, with this, the lyric, the lyrical content of that song, um, just basically a kind of young young person, a young human being, wishing for a better world, basically. And it's just it's just beautiful. And it, it only occurred to me actually when I listened to it, I was like, there's also something 
really, and I'm sure William Mason didn't think about it when he was writing it. He might have done, might have been calculated. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how sort of nursery rhyme in a way it is and how it's sort of like a naive melody in that way. Just the way that the melody rises really simply, you know. Yeah, and catchy as hell. Really catchy, super simple. It makes me Um, want to always harmonise to it. Every time I listen to it, I'm like just trying to just constantly harmonise along with it. Yeah, right. I know what you mean. It does something different to it, doesn't it, when you harmonise to that song? Yeah. And and obviously, you know, I'm going to record, going to play a version of it for the podcast. But I was also like, oh, this is... And actually, that was that was one of my things when, when you guys were asking me, to, you know, what song do you want to choose? And I knew that we were going to do a version of it. Um, it's like, oh, this is the song I wish I wrote. This is the song that really spoke to me as a young songwriter or just a young person and changed me. But I also don't want to... I don't want to record a version of it because it's it's just great the way it is. Yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? It's so perfect. Yeah. It's like, don't mess it up, you know? Yeah. And I was like, well, what would we do? What would we do? Can't strip it back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like, just a cappella. Well, funny you should say that. Funny you should say that. I did think about what an a cappella arrangement of that song would sound like. And then sort of bringing in, yeah, you know, using maybe some tight harmony, three three voices or something. There is a story where he did do it a cappella, isn't there? Like he was... Really? He got, he got arrested, apparently. Oh. Um, he got arrested and was in like the police cell for like 30 hours. Yeah. So the police thought his guitar case had a machine gun in it, apparently. <laughs> I'm not sure if I've just gone to some wild website that just makes up stories. <laughs> That's in one of his songs. Oh, really? That, that, there's a, there's a lyric. My, my, in my guitar case, there's a machine gun. Do, do, do. I can't remember. It's on, um, I think that's the lyric. It's something like that. It's on, uh, Where the Humans Eat. Yeah. Like that. I can't yeah. remember what song it is. Because apparently, that loads of people were rapping in there. And I think apparently he, he did Oxygen Acapella to, to join in. Oh, no way. What, yeah. rapping? I guess, yeah. I guess rapping or just, just speaking it out. Better than Oxygen. <laughs> don't, you don't have to do your version now do it later oh, okay fine <laughs> is that what you're going to say that's a conclusion oh. you're going to wrap it <laughs> he's an yeah. amazing he's, oh, he's a cool guy have you met him yeah I have met Willie so I used to live with a guy lovely songwriter called Pete Rowe who also played in a few different bands he used to play with Laura Marling and uh, when I was living with him Willie was doing a tour and he needed a band, and so Pete was playing guitar for him. And I was, I was, in, I was driving back from, um, I was driving down the M4 back into London, and I got a call from Pete, and he's like, "Sam, is your, uh, is your harmony, your Red Harmony guitar electric at home?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it is." And he was like, uh, "Do you mind if, um, do you mind if <laughs> Willie borrows it?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." I mean, I was just like, yeah, of course. You can have my pants as well if you want. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, um, I was like, why? Why does he need my guitar? And he's like, well, he just got his guitar stolen from McDonald's. (laughs) I was like, what? Willie Mason, A, he got his guitar stolen, but B, he was in McDonald's. Like, what? That doesn't really make sense. Apparently, he went went to McDonald's and he had, I think... uh, He's sponsored by Gretsch. So Gretsch had given him a guitar. And um, 
he was probably ordering himself a burger, put the guitar down, turned around, and it was gone. So I was like, look, as long as he didn't get my guitar nicked, then he can borrow it. But then, uh, just like a real fanboy, I um, followed him on Instagram, and every gig I was looking at pictures of Willie Mason playing on stage, playing my guitar. And how was, how long did he have it for? He had it for a whole tour. Oh, well. Most of the tour, actually, because I went to see him play at the Scala and he wasn't playing it there. He was back on the Gretsch. But yeah, he gave me a he gave me a copy of the record. That was the Carry On tour, that record that he did with Dan Carey. Signed it and said, thanks for lending me the guitar, you know. But yeah, I was so nervous talking to him. There's not many people that I feel like, you know, get sort of starstruck. But that was... He's one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Especially because he, he kind of sings the way he talks. Yeah, yeah. That's like, Oxygen is quite a narrative kind of vocal delivery, isn't it? Kind mm. of, yeah, quite almost talky and simple, like you say. So to hear him just go, hey, Sam, I was like, oh, hey, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Can you be my best friend? <laughs> like, my real best friend. <laughs> I'd also had a few, I've also had a few... Uh, drinks before I met him and I was just I was just I don't even remember what I said but luckily I got to um, redeem myself because I supported him was it last year or a year before last he he came to Stroud in, in Gloucestershire and mates of mine were putting on the gig and, and I supported him there and then I ended up bumping into him at a couple of festivals that summer and he kind of ca- actually came up to me and tapped me on the back and was like hey man like that and I was like ah he remembers me. <laughs> but no, he's a, he's a real sweet guy. Really sweet guy. To the reality, happiness is at stake. I want to hold up my head with dignity. So when did you first hear it and why, why is it becoming your choice of song? I, I remember I was probably, I can't remember exactly how old I was, maybe 16, 17. And I was living at my dad's and I was sleeping. I used to basically sleep in the living room on this sort of fold-out bed from the sofa. But it meant that, like, I spent a lot of mornings just not really getting out of bed because it was the sofa as well. So if dad went to work, I'd just be like, I'd just sort of stick the telly on because it was the living room. <laughs> you know, it's to the ashtray from the night before. And um, I... There was, the, it was, it was on, I remember digital television was sort of in its infancy and there was, if you sort of went backwards from one, you'd get all these really weird channels, but one of them was like a weird music channel and you get all sorts of like urban music on there and it was really random and sometimes I'd stick it on and Willie Mason's Oxygen came on and it just, it, it just stopped me dead in my tracks. I was just like, what is this? You know? And it was just like every word was resonating around my head. And I was just like, wow. It just, I guess it seems to just sort of awaken something in me. It's like, I want to write music that just did. That experience that I just had from listening to that, I would like to share with people and see whether I can do that, where people listen to my stuff and go, wow, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I had that, you know. Yeah. And also... It was the only artist that, like a, a modern artist at the time, I guess, or a new artist, where 
Like my dad used to listen to things that I would listen to and be like, yeah, it's kind of it's quite good. But I remember buying the CD of that album and I had it on and he came home from work and he was like, what's this? And I was like, oh, it's this guy called Willie Mason. And he's like, oh, turn it up. And he sort of come in and listen to it. And he was like, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, and, and it's and it was really amazing to suddenly share this sort of, you know, yeah. And it's weird, actually, because me and my dad shared a lot of music together, but not, it, I don't think it was ever that way round before. It was never yeah. me going, it or him listening. Check listen. this out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't even say check it out. He actually actually pulled his ear into the room, you know. It was like, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> and um, he fell in love with that album. And um, we actually went to see him play at the Union Chapel together, me and my dad. And we didn't really go to that many gigs together and stuff. So it was, it was it, yeah, for many reasons, Willie Mason's my favourite is my favourite artist of all time, I think. Um, but that song and that album, especially because of that connection as well with my dad. It made you want to write songs. Were you writing songs at that time? Did it just focus that, that you've almost found a reason to write songs to actually speak to people like that? Or was it was that what kicks you off in writing songs? I had been writing songs, you know, before that. I wrote, I was writing, I've, my dad actually recorded me when I was little. I used to have got this recording of me Actually, I, he did record me, but I also started recording myself on this little cassette machine. Probably when I was about eight or nine, just coming up with these kind of weird little concepts of songs. One was called Crying in the Rain, which I thought was pretty deep. <laughs> little, little emo kid. Yeah, man. But then I also wrote a song about um, relegation in the Premier League, when it probably wasn't even the Premier League then. It was, and it was, we could actually find out the date because it was, Middlesbrough and Nottingham were the two that went down and it was when it was back when only two teams went down and the chorus was Middlesbrough and Nottingham were not the favourites to go down and that was yeah have yourself therapised from that song yet <laughs> no yeah <laughs> <laughs> always the underdog that's what I take from that yeah. you know so yeah but it, it it just had an effect on me in terms of like I'd never heard a song like that before with lyrics that resonated with me on a kind of conscious and probably unconscious level. And that's, yeah, I suddenly realised, oh, that's the sort of song that I would, that's the way that I would like to speak within my songs from a personal point of view. Has anyone ever said to you that one of your songs had a similar effect on them? I think, yeah, I guess one song in particular seems to resonate with people on, a, on that kind of level, I guess. My song, Numb, I got a message from a girl who was no it's actually it's, it's on youtube i think it was on youtube and she said i was having a panic attack and i was looking for something to calm me down and your your music video was on my recommended and i just hit it and she said i have my headphones on and it just it just uh, it just calmed me right down you know and that and yeah, it's like little moments like that where it's like, wow, that's amazing. Amazing that, yeah, you found it at that opportune moment and it could help you in that way. Um, so how old did you say you were when you first heard it? I think I was like 16, 17. 
Because it was like, what was it? Was it two, 2005 in the UK? Yeah, released in February 2005. Reached number 23 in Did the it? charts. So do you want to know what else was going on in the world in 2005? Um, Hunter S. Thompson died the week, I think, that Oxygen got to number 23. Well... That's you know how he died. Well, he that's then that is also the week that uh, Bush got re-elected in America because Hunter S. Thompson shot himself when Bush got re-elected. Oh, really? Yeah, because of that, he was just like he. Yeah, apparently he had made a commitment to himself. He's like, if that guy gets re-elected, I'm shooting myself. Do you think okay. Oxygen was written because of the political landscape in America? Do you think that was an answer to it? Because Bush was in power when Oxygen was written, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. It's 2004. So I wonder if there'll be Oxygen 2 and our Trumps. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, I know. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, if, if Hunter S. Thompson had survived that somehow, like he'd sort of just gone through his cheek or something, like, yeah. and then Trump turned up, he'd be like, well, what do I do to myself now? <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of ageless, isn't it, that you could apply it to many times between then and now and still yeah, now definitely yeah. timeless is yeah. it timeless for a generation you know a move you know, a, that generation or do you think it's uh just i think timeless? in the same I've, well I've, i don't know why i'm answering your question but <laughs> i'm not meant to be answering questions it's like you listen to like the temptations um by the confusion mm-hmm. and that still rings as true as it did then doesn't it i think yeah. oxygen's probably got the same kind of thing yeah, or like, um, or what comes to mind is um, Masters of War, Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess in a way it's a kind... Well, actually, that's the interesting thing about it. It's, it's, it's not a protest song, is it? No, not a protest song, but it does... It's, a, it's, it's self-help almost, or being better yourself, isn't it? Yeah. It's not about protesting to that, it's about kind of being better than it. In, yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's almost like the problem with... I think my problem as well with a lot of protest songs, like, because I wrote this song about the refugee crisis. Actually, and no, no, that song was about um, the uprising in that kicked off in Libya. Yeah. And people were like, oh, you've written a protest song. I was like, no, I haven't written a protest song. I've just written my perspective on, the, on a situation. I'm not protesting against anything, no. you know, and I think that that's what that's that's what oxygen. It's not kind of like you should do this to make the world better. It's yeah. like this is what I've been thinking about myself. Take it or leave it, you know. <laughs> and that's what's beautiful about it. I think he's not imposing anything on on anyone. Yeah, there's nothing preach about it really. It's interesting as well because the song starts off with him saying, "I want to be better than oxygen." What is it? I want to be... That's such a good first line, isn't it? I mean, I'm a big fan of the first line. So you can breathe when you're drowning and weak in the knees. I want to speak louder than riddling for all the children who think that they've got a disease. I want to be cooler than TV. Usually, sometimes when I think I've written a good song, I then kind of go, ah, but if the first line's not that good, then... I'm like that, like, um, when I'm comping vocals. Like, oh, yeah. I spend most time making sure that at least the, the first line has to be really on it and really cut and really grab you in the right way. Yeah. And then the rest is 
I don't even care about the rest. <laughs> no, <laughs> comp, comp it yourself. Well, it's the first funny. line has got to be right. It's got to grab your mark, like you know. It's yeah, super important. It remi- that reminds me of uh, songwriter uh, making plans for Nigel. Who did that song? XTC. XTC. That was um, Andy Part. And- Andy Partridge. Andy Partridge. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I had a couple of conversations with Andy Partridge on the phone. And talking about songs because he was friends, friends of friend, a friend of mine, and we were just having a bit of a chat about songwriting. And he was talking about like, you know, when he was writing songs, he was like, "Why were the Beatles so great?" You know, because a lot of people were like, "Well, let's let's study the Beatles, and then we'll make we'll be able to write good, you know, great songs." But he was like, "Well, hang on, who are the Beatles listening to?" Yeah, you know, what made them great? And he's and he sort of listened to the the big band era, you know, of like the Frank Sinatra's, and you know. And at that time, you know, all the record labels were saying, well, we've got to get to the chorus because that's the big, that's the big bit, you know, and that's the bit that everyone's going to remember. But you've only got 30 seconds to get there, you know. So just, just put some filler in the front and then, you know, big bombastic hooky chorus and we've got a hit, okay, great. <laughs> but he was like, well, no, 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 those songs were golden from the word go, you know that first vocal that came in, you know, is, is got to floor you. It's got to like yeah. knock you off your feet, you know, otherwise what's the, you know, he then went on to explain to me, he was like, you know, look at all the songs that have got a chorus. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of this? It's like a verse chorus, is it? Is verse chorus. Yeah. 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 And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is golden. I was like, pray tell, you know, and then he, and then, but then he was started chatting about all these songs that I'd never heard. And then, but then I started noticing it in other songs that, that I love as well. And I was like, oh man, look at all these, vo-. like, um, like the Lars, there she goes, classic voice. Yeah. There's no, I mean, it, it, that's all it is. Well, I guess like on Oxygen is the chorus, the on and on it goes bit. Is that the chorus, would you say? Yeah. What, ooh, good question. Yeah, I don't. I, it's almost like a kind of. Um, it's just a shift, isn't it? But is that is the shift the chorus? I don't know much about classical music or like in terms of movements and stuff. But that song feels like a different. It feels like that moment is almost like a kind of um, a calm, a not a calm in the storm. But what am I trying to say? It's it's, it's a, like it's a, a shift, isn't it? It's a relief. But it is a it is a yeah. There is a there is a release in that moment, isn't there? And then it goes yeah. back to that intensity, but it's not too intense. That you know that yeah. verse, chorus, whatever you want to call it. I don't know, man. It's it's a piece of music. Is it a song? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like a it's an anthem. It's it's yeah. it's a it's it, yeah. I guess yeah. So that's interesting. Till I'm dizzy, time to breathe. So close my eyes and start again anew. Um, what about the production of that song, Oxygen? It's not really similar to what how you produce, is it? That's not like it's very. It's very raw. It is. Can hear this inspired you, but it, it is very raw, isn't it? And mm. like they only did like three takes of everything, didn't they? Did you? Know yeah. I, well, I don't know much about the process I, I know that it was kind of yeah recorded in six days that record which is pretty bonkers yeah yeah they probably didn't agonize too much over 
No, the, the tuning's all over the place in some parts, isn't it? But that's that's the charm. That's like, mm. and that's the bravery of it, isn't it? It's a very brave record to allow those kind of mistakes in and that yeah. kind of rawness. Yeah. But it must say it wouldn't wouldn't have taught you in the same way if it, if it was a heavily produced with strings and whatever else on it. No, that that's the whole point, isn't it? It's the yeah, it works best in that way. Yeah because it is raw and simple and the message is tied into that whole thing. So yeah. it must like it wouldn't have been the song we were talking about today if, if it wasn't for that. So Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know when, when Willie actually wrote that song, whether he had written it, you know, sometime before it was recorded, mm. you know, or, you know, from point of you know writing that song to release it'd be, it'd be interesting to know when he wrote that there's there's what's interesting about it is that there's so much maturity in it but at the same time there's that sense of a naiveness to it a simpleness to it that suggests the beginnings of a songwriter in a way I, I can't imagine someone writing something like that and looking at the world like that as an older person back to the the song and doing a version of it mm. I think with a, if a song's great, it must it must be harder to do a bad version because the song rules, doesn't it? That's the thing. That's like yeah. that's how we can play it, and just an acoustic guitar and a double vocal, yeah, and just do it so simple because the song just rules. Yeah, I think if the song's great, it's hard to do a bad version. So why are there so many really appalling cover versions of classic <laughs> songs then? Because <laughs> of John Lewis. <laughs> I think the key is to not think that you can do it better. Yeah. So you're going to play for us your version of Oxygen, Sam? I am, yes. Here it comes. Thanks very much. I want to be better than oxygen So you can breathe when you're drowning And weak in the knees I want to speak Louder than Ritalin For all the children who think They've got a disease I wanna be cooler than TV For all the kids that are wondering What they're going to be We can be stronger than bombs If you're singing along And you know that you really believe We can be richer than industry As long as we know that there's things that we don't really need We can speak louder than ignorance Cause we speak in silence every time our eyes meet On and on and on it goes The world it just keeps spinning Till I'm dizzy, time to breathe So close my eyes and start again I wanna see through all the lies of society To the reality, happiness is at stake I wanna hold up my head with dignity Proud of the life, but it give means more than a take I wanna live beyond the modern mentality Where paper is all that you're really taught to create Do you remember the forgotten America? Justice, equality, freedom to 
to every race Just need to get past all the lies and hypocrisy Make up and head to the truth behind every face And look around at all the people you see How many of them are happy and free? I know it sounds like a dream But it's the only thing that can get me to sleep at night And I know it's hard to believe But it's easy to see that something here isn't right I know the future looks dark But it's there that the kids of today must carry the light On and on and on it goes The world it just keeps spinning Until I'm dizzy, time to breathe So close my eyes and start again If I'm afraid to catch a dream I weave my baskets and I float them down the river stream Each one I weave with words I speak To carry love to your relief I wanna be Better than oxygen so you can breathe When you're drowning and weak in the knees I wanna speak louder than riddling For all the children who think that they've got a disease I wanna be cooler than TV For all the kids that are wondering what they're going to be We can be stronger than bombs if you're singing along And you know that you really believe We can be richer than industry As long as we know that there's things that we don't really need We can speak louder than ignorance Cause we speak in silence every time our eyes meet Thanks, Sam. That was really amazing. That was just so brilliant. So, so good. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank, thanks, Sam. And now we have a surprise guest join us on the phone from the USA. It's actually Willie Mason himself. Hello. Hey. Sam, have you got some questions? I've got, I've got some questions, yes. I guess my question to you uh, would be, do you remember writing it? Do you remember where you were? Mm-hmm. Yep, I'd just come home from school. <laughs> and... um. You know, it was like it was towards it was uh, towards the end of high school. September 11th had happened recently. There was a lot of changes that we were starting to see, and I was starting to just pick up, like you know, when you're walking through the halls in school, you pick up a general atmosphere, and mm-hmm. I was just starting to feel how heavy it was weighing on all of us, and seeing it in people's faces, and um, 
And it was, I remember it was kind of this feel, feeling was like building up in me over the course of the week. And then finally, like, you know, towards the end of the week, I came home and I sat down on my bed at, uh, in my room at my parents' house. And I just started singing it. And the first verse came out pretty much in one go. Amazing. And then that was it. And I kind of just worked on it for a couple of weeks after that. And I remember a lot of the, the other verses I wrote as I was walking to and from work because <laughs> school ended shortly after that. And I was doing, I was working uh, as a stonemason and I didn't have a car. So I'd walk to work and I would walk back and walking is a nice time to like really be patient with lyrics. Mm. That's when I like hammered out the, the second verse. So what, how does it feel or it must feel good that someone was so moved by one of your stories, uh, one of your songs, sorry, that, uh, um, that they, one chose it to be the song they wish they wrote. And although that is a kind of a slightly strange thing to say, as Sam said, but also just that, you know, inspired Sam to write songs. I'm so honored. I to to have been a part of this song's journey. I kind of feel like I don't really take ownership of it anymore, which is a nice mm. nice to be because I can sort of just enjoy its existence in the world and and yeah, it's just feel honored to be a part of it. And it's brought me to meet people like you, Sam. Mm. <laughs> So a wonderful thing to be a part of. So I think it's way cool. <laughs> wow. Well, cheers, Willie. Thanks very much. We really yeah, appreciate thanks it. So thanks, much. man. Yeah, thanks for your time, buddy. Yeah, thank you, guys. So what's next then? What's next then, Sam? Well, got first single coming out end of May uh, is the plan as I see it now. And then we basically got three main singles coming out on the album and then the the sort of physical and full album will come out in October with a tour for the UK and Ireland starting in November, running through to December. Um, and then in between that, I'm, I've kind of taken to doing lots of live streaming on Twitch. Uh, at the moment, I'm streaming on Wednesday at 6pm and Sunday at 5pm. And that's been really fun, really, really enjoying just it's it's much more kind of looser in a way than than a, your traditional gig because I'm sitting playing songs chatting to people um, someone might be like can you play this song and if I kind of know it relatively well enough then I'll crack out a version or I'll say I'll tell you what I'll learn it for a stream in the future or something like that so that's been really fun there's all sorts of stuff that goes on in there mate have you been on Twitch? No just oh, to mate. look at your streamed gigs actually that's the only reason i've looked at it so have you have you watched them have you keith yeah i've watched them bits yeah I haven't oh, watched cool, anything man. live but watched it other times yeah it's oh good. nice yeah me too i have two yeah What's that? me too yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm always on twitch watching your gigs <laughs> Shit. <laughs> i watched you leave actually <laughs> you were that noisy one at the bar so in the way that a lot of people have got used to working from home, do you think that actually live streaming of gigs is going to be something that carries on after this whole COVID-19 problem? I think I will, I will carry on. I don't know whether it will be as frequently, but it suddenly was a kind of a new string to the things that I do, basically. But, that you know, nothing can take away the feeling of, you know, being in a room 
where the speakers just moved the air with music and you were that collective experience of you know I'm, I'm I'm a true believer of like you know music is a vibration and if it runs through the people that are all experiencing it in, in the room together you can experience something that you would not experience in it in that way you know if you listen to it on your own or through you know but equally you know there's something different to be experienced through these twitch you know and 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 at first I was skeptical about it you know I was like is this really you know because I'm I'm all about a connection man but actually no I'm I, I, there is a connection being made it's a different one it's a different connection but yeah I I think it will carry on but there ain't nothing like a gig there ain't Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much, Sam. Yeah, thanks. No thanks worries. For thanks coming you on. It's really good. It's great. I'm Sam Brooks, and you've been listening to my episode of "I Wish I Wrote That Song," featuring "Oxygen" by Willie Mason. The hosts were Keith Wyatt and David Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode. Please leave a review with your podcast provider. Share it with your friends and shout about it generally. Leave a good review. It's fucking awesome. Tell everybody how fucking awesome this podcast is. If you've enjoyed this podcast, <laughs> way too optimistic. Please keep your ears and eyes peeled for future episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>